and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is the last day of May 2023, May 31st, a Wednesday. Um, Many of my guests are, of course, authors. Most of the guests are, in fact, authors. And I like to learn about them because, of course, a biography of a person tells us about their book, too. Books are consequences of people and vice versa. They're always personal, even when they're not intended to be. And I was particularly struck by the biography um, of my guest today, Stephanie Kramer. I'm going to read it out. Stephanie Kramer is a beauty industry executive with experience on three continents. That's all very well. Uh, the second sentence is particularly interesting. She writes, uh, she had her first son, William, while working at Chanel, Inc., and her second, James, at Kiel since, 90, uh, since 1851. Kiel's, I didn't actually know, is, uh, is a cosmetics company. We all know what Chanel is. It wasn't, I think, that Stephanie is showing off about her children, although I'm sure she does, but the book that she has written, Carrie Strong, An Empowered Approach to Navigating Pregnancy and Work, is a book about her own experience. So boasting, if you like, about having uh, one child while she was at Chanel and another at Kiehl's is quite acceptable. Um, Stephanie is joining us from L'Oreal. She's moved on from uh, Chanel and Kiehl's, and now she's the chief HR officer, the CHRO at Oriel's uh, L'Oreal, which has 11,000 uh, employees. Uh, Stephanie, congratulations on the book. I wonder, are you going to have any more kids while you're at L'Oreal or are those days finished? <laughs> Two is fantastic. This book, baby, has been, uh, has been my third labor of love. In all seriousness, no, I, I do love that bio. Uh, it's the first, it, it's, it's, it's the first bio that um, describes having, in, in the second sentence of who they are, describing having their child, two children uh, at, at different jobs. How important is that? I mean, obviously, you've written this book, Carrie Strong, about the importance of, of, um, of uh, changing, if you like, the culture for women of giving birth while they're at high-powered jobs. But um, how important was that experience of being pregnant whilst at the same time having pretty high-powered jobs, both at Chanel and Kiel? You're a very senior executive. So for me, you know, the story of writing the book, Wentz, is, is 10 years ago. Um, you know, it's when I was first pregnant and then unpregnant and pregnant again at work. And I was at this amazing company where, you know, I had paid leave and I have a partner who worked full time in a supportive environment full of, you know, other women who were parents. And I experienced my own really difficult situation. So I knew from that moment forward, if I felt that way, you know, after suffering loss, or I had had a, a, a the beginning of the book talks a little bit about a different situation um, where I had suffered a, a near death experience of my husband prior to becoming pregnant. And it put a lot of weight an emphasis on that moment of triumph and the intersection with career was always there. 
So I knew that I wanted to flip the script, not just for me and for the women who I was mentoring behind closed doors, but in the big picture. So the importance is, is exactly as you said, it's not boastful. It's in fact to say, I, I had my experiences in those moments and I can only imagine what it's like for so many. So I wanted to do something to help. Is this um, a feminist book? I mean, that word now, the F word, Stephanie, uh, is a controversial one. 20 years ago, it wasn't. I think most women, especially professional women, would have claimed to be uh, feminists. Now, there's a post-feminist movement. You don't use the F word in the title, but you do talk about empowered approach. Right. Uh, I I'm guessing you're in the Sheryl Sandberg lean forward uh, crowd. Is that fair? It's interesting because a lot of people in the book referenced um, Lean In, and I think that it needed to happen for us to feel like we could. But in the book, the empowered approach is also the ability to kind of stand upright or to sit back and have all three degrees be okay in this moment. I actually call it like push. You know, some women in the research and in their stories actually are inspired and they're extra confident in this moment that often before had never been positioned that way. But others also recognize that they need to pause, they need to slow down. It's how they're reprioritizing their life at this time. And so you have a push, you have a pause, and then you also have pivot. You know, some very big moments that happen in this incredibly powerful life moment that in fact made people reflect on their careers in a different way because of adding this new priority or really importantly, the journey to it. So I feel like, um, you know, there's, yes, the sentiment that if you want to, if you can, then you, you should, but what does that mean for you? And so I really try to lift off the, the burden of expectations without creating new ones. Stephanie, in your experience, did you have moments where you thought to yourself, I can't juggle these two things. I need to go part-time. I need to take some time at home. I, I can't both have a child and have a really high-powered career. I definitely had moments where I questioned um, how to do them at the level that I wanted to. And I feel like this is also something that happens to a lot of us and, and certainly was a lot of the stories referenced in the book when you're used to also trying to obtain at a certain level. And I, I say I'm a recovering perfectionist. And in fact, I think becoming a mother and the fact that I actually, in fact, cannot do everything at this perfect level that I was doing actually has made me a better leader. It's made me have better empathy and better respect for others. Um, and that sometimes, you know, what needs to be done doesn't have to be at that high level. But I do believe that, you know, sometimes that uh, that achiever, that perfectionist mindset is driving for results. And then something's out of your control, like becoming a mother or something you want so much more paramount, there can be a, a tension. And I definitely had moments of that. And is becoming a better leader, does that make you a better parent as well? Or is that the wrong 100%. Absolutely. I, but is that I, accepting that nothing's perfect and that you have to deal with imperfections and there's always going to be chaos around you? I mean, having children is by definition chaotic and <laughs> leading at that, you know, running a HR at an 11,000 person company can't be chaotic. Your job is, is to avoid chaos or to eliminate right. chaos. It's, it's definitely, I think they go both ways so much. And actually, it's one thing I was talking to someone earlier today about the idea of parenting out loud at work and how that gives permission for others to talk about other parts of their life. It doesn't even have to just be parenthood, but how we talk about what we do with our families. And I think, you know, in the past three years, we've all gotten more comfortable with that. But I also think it's important the other way around. I also work out loud at home sometimes with my kids or even my husband, <laughs> where it's, 
also let me tell you some of the things that I'm doing or why my organization skills um, at work also apply. I mean, I might use different language with my, my almost nine-year-old and my five-year-old, but I do try to actually also show that the strengths and that ability also having a positive impact at home instead of just something that pulls me away from them. So I try to express like what it gives me and how I can help others in a way that also makes them feel proud um, to also have their, their mom work too. In terms of the kid's pride, your, your nine-year-old's going to grow up. Is he going to remember in terms of his uh, uh, origin story that he was conceived while you were at Chanel? Well, I have a really great picture of it. So it's certainly in his baby book, whether he remembers it or not. Um, it's funny. I have a fantastic photo also that I was looking at the other day uh, of when I was pregnant with my second son and my, my older this son. This is the Kiehl's a, son, right? Yes. And Kiehl's is actually uh, one of our brands at L'Oreal. So I've been at L'Oreal okay. um, also for, for that time, too. So. I was in this picture, I'm pregnant with James and Williams on my lap for take your children to work day. And then after that, the pandemic happened and we hadn't had a take your children to work day for all those years. And then this year um, I got to have both sons come into the office and it was actually one of the days that I gave a talk about the book and it just felt really powerful and full circle and kind of cool to say, look, look at all of these intersections and how in fact they're actually fueling each other. And so while I, I certainly can share this now with so much optimism, I think that for me, it's been important to share with, with so many women and the readers of the book, you know, there's the really tough stuff. There's these moments of triumph. So for me, that moment, you know, two weeks ago or so, but there's so much in between. And in fact, this is such a everyday, extraordinary, but everyday occurrence um, that I think we can also make more normalized in the way that we talk about it too. You talk to a lot of people, um, about your the working parent experience according to fortune 1300 people that's a lot of people to talk to stephanie what did you learn that surprised you that you yourself hadn't experienced you're clearly a very accomplished person um running a huge organization as as well as uh, uh a marriage and, and and family what surprised you in this research when you find i assume that you you mostly talk to women so I did the, the 1,300 people is actually four quant studies that I did. One was 400 women who worked full-time while they were pregnant. One was 150 college-age women or female-identifying or non-gender-conforming individuals. Same with college-age men. And then I also did a study with 650 people, men and women or non-gender-conforming, that were parents and non-parents. So those were kind of the quant data piece. But then concurrent to that, I did over 200 interviews with the same five questions um, with, you know, inspirations and icons. And as you go throughout the book, you read their individual stories. And the one thing that surprised me was, you know, when I started out writing the book, I had this hunch that there was kind of how do I flip the script and make sure that there's some pragmatic optimism that we can bring into this moment of attrition. But what I really found and the empowered piece is really important. And actually, that subtitle came later was how much, when I asked people the question, who would you like to thank for support during this time? That was the fifth question I asked every single person that I had the one-on-one -on -one conversation with. They said things like myself, or I talked about identity, and they talked about you know this, this um, matriescence that happens in such a profound way that what I realized is that all of this things that people often frame as having to get through or something to get through, in fact, can be such powerful foresight for someone else. So the fact that these women recognize 
I am sharing this story. I got this for myself. And in fact, I might've been the one holding myself back, but then also how can I use it to fuel others? That's when I felt it. I was like, okay, this is the moment because we've had a tremendous amount of progress, but how can we change the way we're talking about something that's affecting, you know, 85% of working women. It's if we can actually feel this way that then we can fuel um, the future that comes after us. So what needs to change, Stephanie? As you said, lots of positive development, but what still needs to happen to enable women, whether they're powerful executive like yourself or perhaps less powerful figures, less successful figures, uh, female figures, to balance work and family or work and pregnancy? What what hasn't changed? No, I... Maybe it started to happen, but it could happen so much more are these type of conversations. Like, I'm so thrilled to be invited to speak with you about this topic. You know, it's, again, as I said, it, it's like often behind closed doors or in these moments of super triumph or something super, uh, super dire, but to have comfortable conversations about all kinds of life events. So pregnancy included, but of course, there's so many other things that happen at this intersection of work and life. And over the past three years, we've had this uh, exposure to bring our whole selves to work or bringing work into our homes. And I think that the, the way that we encourage you know, the relationship between employees, between managers, between even HR becomes a two-way dialogue. And I feel like the more that we can encourage a confident and comfortable conversation in a way that, yes, there's systems of support, but also empowers the individual um, and removes some of the fear, then we can help to, to flip it uh, as well. Next week, I'm doing a show with a, an author, Simon Stoltzoff, who has a new book out. It's a counterintuitive book, uh, The Good Enough Job, Reclaiming Life from Work. Pregnancy, of course, is by definition life on lots of levels. It's the most essential form of life. Did you find, and, and is this an issue or a problem, if some people simply get pregnant while they're working and decide that work pales in comparison and that work is something you need to do for eight hours a day and the rest of your day and existence should be focused on the pregnancy? It's very interesting because it's so different for so many people. I, I think everyone, you know, on their worst day, your work becomes your paycheck. That also is a way you provide for your family or other parts of your life or other things that give you energy. And sometimes it's the other way around where, in fact, work is giving you so much because of things that are happening in your life. And I love I want to read that book. I actually saw it, too, the other day. Um, because I really think the idea of reclaiming life from work expresses this idea that I talk about in the book called fluidity. So instead of always striving for work-life balance, that gives way too much credit to work. Work and life, like those are, those are two, you know, work is a very important part of your, your life, but it's not as big as this other piece. And so there's specific moments where for myself, you know, I'm all in on work. Maybe it's even for a week at a time or in these really focused, intense periods where it's really taking up, you know, a tremendous amount of my energy. But other times when I know where that focus needs to be and I feel like that's a new approach for how we kind of reclaim what we want, what drives us with our purpose, but also how we use our time, how we use our energy. And in fact, for me, it's been freeing. And I find that my energy actually um, builds when I have that you know, balance and whatever that means, but more of a fluid approach. Are you seeing in terms of the conversation and the research and, and your experience with other women, are you seeing generational divides? I know you're really focusing in many ways in the book on Gen Zers, but obviously 
baby boomers um, and, and, and younger women. Are you finding differences or are most women in the workforce one way or the other dealing with the same issues? What's really interesting is that so many women, even if this was, you know, 40 years behind them, they were still expressing the similar sentiments in how they felt, but the structures and systems around them has evolved. So for example, you know, one of the Gen Z women that I had spoken to, it's things that they expect of the workplace versus on the other side of things that we didn't know we could even ask for. And I think that that um, system approach has kind of evolved over time, but a lot of the, the same fears of perception or, you know, as you were just saying, like, that I'm going to miss out on something, that I'm not going to be able to be there for my children in the way I want to be because of work or not be able to be there for work in the way I want to be. Those sentiments are similar, but we have evolved in the, the different ways that we work, um, different types of places of work. But I do believe a lot of those experiences are still very much shared. But I do also believe that now the women who have gone through that and women like me, I experienced a balance. And so I also feel very much responsible to continue to fuel the, the positive narrative and to give people space for those comfortable conversations and to celebrate the moment as well, um, instead of just having it be something that, that looms uh, in a different way. Lots of discussion these days, don't need to tell you, Stephanie, on social media, lots of critics increasingly. In fact, there's a... Uh, um, uh, the uh, the Surgeon General came out with a warning about uh, social media and kids. Mm. You're quite active on Instagram. You're promoting the book on it. Lots of critics of Instagram suggest that it creates a lot of insecurity amongst women because all they mm. watch are perfectly beautiful, manicured, presented women. Again, from your experience in the fashion industry, you know all about that. Um, is this... Another problem when it comes to having children at work, I mean, as we've suggested earlier, pregnancy is a messy business, philosophically and physically. It's not something that you want to put up on Instagram. Right. Um, do we need to fight some of the, 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 the idealized representations of women and life on platforms like Instagram? I think that making sure that we express, and there are different sites for different things. And even with on Instagram, there's a few incredible platforms that are also starting to share, um, you know, the, the all sides of motherhood and the different ways that people become mothers in the first place. Because I think that's something that also has very much evolved. The idea of family has so much evolved. You know, I think that people need to make sure that who they're following, um, what contents they're searching out, it's the why behind it. You know, what are you looking for from that versus the expectation that that's the full story that you're about to see. But one thing that was important with me with the book beyond Instagram was also to help create content and resources that could be available. So for me, my, my original story, when I first was suffering a loss that I was at my desk, I remember taking my phone into the bathroom and scrolling to old message boards. So this was, you know, this was 10 years ago, but I was still looking at message board threads from 2002 to try to see if there was any inkling of hope. And then when I, I remember trying to have the conversation with my boss, how do I, how do I tell my boss I'm pregnant? And it was so tough to find like a very consolidated um, way. There were a lot of different ideas, which also can be fantastic if you're searching on social media uh, for ideas and things to do. But that's why also I wanted to create a book. I'm also a, a huge bookworm. I, I am a very proud nerd. 
And I believe in the power of creating these resources for what you need and when you need it. Um, so the combination for me of having social media, having platforms that can serve the content that can help to stimulate the ideas for yourself, but also resources and powerful mediums like books, uh, especially for me, making sure this had the physical part because in the front of the book, it actually has a page that says, pass it on. And I actually encourage people to sign and share the book with support when they give it to somebody. Very, very often women hand off. I bet your publisher is uh, a little ambivalent about that. We want everyone to buy the book rather than pass it on. Well, so yes. And the other two ways, which are very important for these private moments, are the fact that it's also an audiobook and it also can be on your Kindle. I think we right. all have things that we've yeah. listened to and you're already. Very, you're very active online. You have uh, a podcast focused on this. You mentioned your boss. I'm not sure if he is male or she is female. Um, we haven't talked much about men here. Men, of course, one of the, the differences, perhaps, the core difference between men and women is that men don't have children. Men can't get pregnant, whereas women can. Um, what does your book tell men? I, I'm guessing that most of the readers will turn out to be women, but some will be men. What, what would you like men to learn from your study and from the book? So there's, there's three things. One is that, you know, again, there's going to be parents that will appreciate the book regardless of their physical pregnancy. Two is as a partner, so as a support, I, I really try to make sure I delineate these the impact of the principles and kind of the headspace that you can have, but also the phases that occur. And there's just a visibility to it, you know, understanding all of the emotions and everything that's happening throughout this entire pregnancy journey, not just when someone has a physical belly, I think can be a really powerful learning to appreciate and meet people with empathy where they are. And the, the last part, which is really important, is I say in the book, you know, I encourage people to listen and follow her lead because often, you know, even the most well-meaning um, individuals can sometimes have uh, unsolicited comments or can think that they're doing something to benefit the individual, but in fact, they haven't ever asked her. So for me, it's a, a way to include them in the conversation from the very beginning to give some of the knowledge for something to create empathy but also it's the recognition of some of those pitfalls that can often happen even to the most well-intended and meaning, you know, partner at work, teammate at work. Are there major differences, Stephanie, within the economy between different industries, different verticals? I'm guessing that the yeah. L'Oreal's and the Chanel's of the world, which are focused on selling products to, to women, particularly young women, perhaps get it better than other kinds of companies, more traditional industrial companies? Or are, are you finding that most corporations struggle with the same issues when it comes to helping uh, their employees uh, navigate the pregnancy while working at the same time? So I didn't find statistical differences based off of the women that I um, did the quant studies with by industry, but I also did focus primarily on non-manual labor roles. So it does shift a little bit the subset of the population. That being said, it's still, you know, it's something that impacts any women in your workforce. And obviously there's many measures of diversity that are going to fluctuate based off of the industry as well. And I certainly believe that we feel more comfortable um, because of our environments that we're often in to share. But the, the topic itself is so uh, universal 
that I really believe there's such an opportunity to also address it in a way that can lift up everyone, regardless of your industry. Um, and in fact, perhaps that's why I feel comfortable as well, because I am at an organization with you know, 65% of our leadership committee, our strategic committee is women. Um, I have the examples and I'm helping to create that example, but certainly you know, this is a universal topic. Again, it's, it's very ordinary, but it's also so extraordinary. Is it a problem in the United States in particular? Um, European companies are much more liberal um, when it comes to giving women time off. Do American companies and American work culture, do they struggle with this because people simply don't have enough time off and you need time? Right. Particularly women need time to have their child and then recover from the pregnancy. Well, certainly we know that the, the U.S., is one of the only industrialized countries that does not offer universal paid leave. We know that primarily that paid leave is also coming from private employers. Um, and exactly as you said, we definitely know that women need to recover. They need to bond with their child. And it's so paramount and important. And I think to your point of other countries, I've had this discussion about this book and this topic with people um, all around the world, but I decided to specifically focus on the U.S. because I think the fact that some of those structural things are not in place in the U.S. and perhaps many other ways that we also have a, a different work lifestyle is that it does create a feeling, again, I always go to my shoulders, but um, something that you're going to have to, to get through so I think that we've evolved very much in the past several years. And as you mentioned, the differences in organizations, it also varies by size. Uh, also, we have you know, entrepreneurs to consider. But yes, I think that you know, the US is in a different position um, than other countries for sure. Final question, Stephanie, and I'm not asking you to speak on behalf of L'Oreal, but you're a senior person in a large organization. Should organizations, when they're dealing with this issue, should they be thinking in utilitarian terms? Should they be thinking, well, if we help uh, our female employees, uh, if we enable pregnancy to work while they're working, it's, it's good for the company? Or should they be thinking this is the right thing to do? I think it can be both. You know, I think it's the right thing. I, I talk a lot about the book. And one of the ambitions is that this is a point of attrition in the pipeline for working women. Why can't it be a point where you retain someone? You know, I found in the research that if this is a moment where women felt comfortable, had a surge in their confidence, they in fact actually worked even more. So during their pregnancy, and they were more likely to return. And on top of that, if you lose them, if you don't retain them, you're going to have to hire someone else. So I think that there's the cost impact. There's also the retention of the individual employees. And overall, it is the right thing to do culturally. We need to have engaged pregnant women in the workforce and all of those individuals that wish to become parents. And the reality is that that's part of who we all are and how we show up every day. And finally, yes, Stephanie, should women be more demanding? For a woman listening to this, watching this, who's pregnant and who is rather uncomfortable about um, their situation at work, should they walk into their boss, a woman like yourself, and, and demand uh, some sort of empowerment? I think that you should feel absolutely empowered to ask for what you need and also appreciate and understand what your places of work have to offer. And today, that's really what it's about. It's about finding that match 
for, for both of you, for the organizations and for the individuals. And also, you don't have to immediately feel like you have to walk in and demand and say things the same way. For you, something like a conversation about fertility treatments, for example, might look like, hey, I'm coming in and I need to talk to you. I'm going through these fertility treatments. That means we're going to have to move our regular meeting. But for somebody else, it might be like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm going through something personally. I'm not ready to share yet, but I will tell you when I am. And hopefully we're, we're getting to a point where those leaders, that's a leadership value of someone that will be able to have that powerful conversation with you for, for all the different parts of your life, including during this really profound one in this moment of pregnancy and all of the, all the lead up to that big moment too. Now don't blame me, Stephanie, when, uh, when we finish this conversation, there's a long line of women demanding, banging on your door, demanding more rights. Well, we're, we're very proud of um, what we offer at L'Oreal, and I'm very happy to have those conversations with them.